All right, so we are connecting there. So, Zhao, tell me your thoughts, the difference between education and entrepreneurship. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we could talk 45 minutes on this, but just kind of a high level thought. What do you think? Well, there's a one really important commonality be between, you know, work as an educator and work as an entrepreneur is, which is uh, the power of communication. It's like you really have to uh, build a coalition of, of goodwill around you. Lots and lots of people have to uh, buy into your vision and, and believe your dream for a startup to be able to succeed. Um, and so that ability to entice people, to uh, communicate your vision, to bring people from where they are today or to where you would love them to be, um, that is common to the, the job of a startup founder and uh, uh, an educator or a professor, which was my previous life before starting Venium. And so I, I would say that it was really great training um, for me as, as a startup founder before to have had an academic career, um, where also one thing that people forget is that often you think about a professor as a teacher, but a professor is most of all also a researcher asking mm -hmm. questions and trying to f solve complex problems. Uh, and so that's that side as well. And as a professor, I also had the opportunity to actually do a couple of startups within academia. Uh, one was an international master's program in uh, uh, Germany, which was taught completely in English. And that was like at the beginning of my career, I actually uh, scaled that program up to 700 candidates for 30 <laughs> places in, in sponsorship by German companies. My second startup within academia was the Institute for Telecommunication in Porto, which grew from five people to 100 people within uh, five years. Um, and then I also had the, the, the privilege to work with the Portuguese government on an international partnership between Portuguese universities and Carnegie Mellon, which at the time had a budget of about $77 million over five years. Um, and so I got to actually also build out that program touching the lives you know of hundreds of uh, researchers professors and, and students um, and so you know by the time I actually started companies I already had um, some experience in building organizations and uh, building teams and and you know pursuing our dreams in one way or the other wow okay so we are set for a killer show because um the biggest problem that I see right now is that you are not duplicated into a hundred million different people that are all the same doing that in academia because we need educators to be entrepreneurs and to rattle the cages of these institutions that are based on uh, you know, the 1600s. But in each of those startup stories in education, there was scale. And that is what we're here today to talk about is scaling and not about scaling educational startups. We're talking about scale-ups. We're talking about Venom, your company, which you were the CEO of. Ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce, wait for it, Zhao Bios. Bios. Yes? No? Uh, about 80% there. But you're, you're I will take an 80. I will take an 80%. <laughs> you know what? Um, you don't have to be great at the start, but you have to start to be great. So if I say your name like five, 10 more times, I'm going to get up to that, that 99%. <laughs> so today we're going to, we're going to talk and really pick your brain on the lessons learned as you've started and scaled Venom, your company. And we are here on the scale up Valley podcast, where we talk with scale up heroes, the people who are behind the scenes with the capes, I don't see that you have your cape on today. That, that's very humble of you. It's, it, 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 
only only came out comes out at night. So. <laughs> Good. No, I, I I'm glad I'm glad that uh, that you're still humble. As you know, the the Superman uh, that we don't see, we're we're talking with Clark. But really, uh, the the idea here is to share your experiences, your insights, your anecdotes, so that people can learn from it. Now, my name is Ryan Fullen. For those of you who don't know me, and I love to speak about simplicity, so I'm going to be taking notes uh, on little pieces of paper, and I'm going to chirp in where I see fit, and I'm going to come in with a recap in the end. But for now, I'm going to hand it over to Mr. Mike, who also has spent a lot of time in Porto. Mike, the mic is yours. <laughs> so it's a good point. Thanks, Brian. Thanks so much, Ryan, for joining us uh, today. Really privileged to um, talk to you and and to learn from you. And um, yeah, let's let's start with um, with your story. Uh, you were already sharing it behind the scenes and where we were going live, but uh, yeah, let us go through the beginnings of your life very quickly until you get to uh, startup Vinium or Venium, sorry, now I'm in English uh, mode, Venium. <laughs> <laughs> sure thing. So before starting Venium, I uh, actually uh, had a, a, an academic career as a professor of electrical and computer engineering. So I've been working on wireless networks for about 20 years now. And uh, specifically, we started looking at uh, networks of moving things um, in as part of our research program in 2005. Uh, by 2008, 2009, we started building networks of vehicles. And that's when we realized, you know, that vehicles can be a lot more than just machines that carry people from one point to the other. They can actually be part of the wireless uh, infrastructure providing free internet for people, but most of all, by meshing with each other, being able to communicate with each other and with the internet, uh, they can actually move massive amounts of data, not just to improve our mobility system, but actually just in general pick up tons of useful data to improve the quality of life and the safety of our cities. And so that became our purpose as a company in, in Venium is to make places more human by maximizing the utility of vehicles. So enabling them, you know, to provide mobility as a service so that we go from, you know, just 5% utilization to 70, 80% of utilization um, and preferably one day uh, mobility will be provided as a service by fleets of autonomous vehicles uh, that have to move huge amounts of data to be able to operate. And that's precisely the problem that Venium solves. All of this came from, you know, uh, 15 years of research. Um, and then uh, one day, you know, uh, Portugal was actually in, uh, uh, in a pretty tough situation because of the financial crisis, which hit us badly in 2011. Um, students were getting, you know, quite uh, uh, depressed and thinking, oh, we have to immigrate or uh, to, to be able to get um, good jobs. And so I felt, you know, that uh, now is the time uh, for us to take all the amazing technology that uh, students were developing in the university and actually bring it to the to the market and and I and and once I mentioned this to them you know you could really see you know the level of enthusiasm rising um, and uh, and I said you know January 2012 will start and I had no idea how to do it um, but that's exactly what we we did we started a couple of companies in in then uh, uh, Venium um, got funded and we just celebrated our seventh year uh, last week. 
Congratulations. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, before asking a little bit more about the stage of the company in terms of scale, maybe I would introduce the, the framework that we always use to guide our conversations um, with scale-up leaders uh, and scale-up CEOs. And uh, as you already have been using this framework, which is a scaling-up framework, and it would be even better if you could just uh, quickly explain uh, what is this scale-up uh, with this, this framework about. Please. So, so we were very lucky to actually uh, be part of a program that is, was also sponsored by our city, by Porto. Porto has, you know, a growing ecosystem of startups and scale-ups. Uh, Porto, in particular, specialized on supporting scale-ups uh, with, uh, you know, very interesting programs that join our uh, business school and our uh, entrepreneur association and the city itself. Um, as part of the program, I actually got to meet Vern Harnish um, and and have an intensive workshop uh, and I took uh, our in, entire leadership team uh, there uh, and uh, and it was quite a, a mind-changing <laughs> experience um, we just realized uh, hey uh, there's there's obviously every company is is a different company every business is you know is different but there are like commonalities on how uh, you know companies grow um, and there are you know, there is enough evidence uh, from thousands of companies on things that work really well and things that we don't uh, uh, know if they work and things that we know that won't work. Um, and so uh, we, I, I came back from that workshop, bought the scale-up book and basically, you know, had about 20 copies and they started handing them out to our managers. Um, and we started, you know, step-by-step step, um, introducing some of the best practices that are um, in the book uh, and adapting it uh, to, uh, to, to some of the things that we needed to achieve, uh, realizing, you know, what works well for us. Uh, also, particularly in terms of, you know, uh, our, our uh, execution and, and our clarity around our strategy and purpose um, and who we who we are, why we do things, and, and how we want to to, to operate, and so uh, it was it was tremendously valuable to know, um, you know, that there's a system that we can follow to actually implement. We're, we are engineers. We're very much a tech company and a hard tech company, and and so for us, you know, having a methodology that that you know that is measurable and that we could use to to implement those those changes in the company. Was, was extremely valuable and so but it's a, also a lot of work so that's the other thing <laughs> that people have to have to realize but I think it greatly contributed to the clarity of our uh, strategy and direction uh, to the improvements in execution I, I, I believe we still have a lot to learn and a lot to improve um, but I think we created a, a, a culture that that enables you know this continuous improvement um, and, and a lot of unity around around the purpose. Got it. And um, already using some of the terminology of, of, the, of the framework, so what is your big area audacious goal, your long-term vision for Venom? I know that you, have, you were able to quantify it in a, in a way that is very difficult and it's a process uh, to get it even more, as you said, clear and clear. So what is the BAC of uh, Venom nowadays? So in eight to 10 years, we want our uh, software uh, to be in 100 million vehicles, uh, and 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 we say if uh, 100 million Veniumized vehicles, and and Veniumized vehicles are vehicles that use uh, Venium's platform to maximize their utility. 
And so that means the vehicles that uh, with our intelligent networking software are able to talk to each other and to the internet and move massive amounts of data and therefore provide new connected vehicle services and new connected vehicle applications. But that you know, critical number we want to achieve is 100 million uh, vehicles. And, uh, and we're well on track because um, we're now working with uh, several of uh, uh, the largest automakers in the world. Um, and they produce uh, overall the total addressable market um, by 2021 is about 90 million connected vehicles per year coming out of the factory. Uh, and our pipeline now is roughly at 40 million. Uh, so in three to five years, we want to be in uh, um, 5 million vehicles and that scales then really fast once every year you know you get into production with each one of these auto EMs it can be anywhere from 4 to 10 million per automaker and so that will you know get us to our our BHAG and so we're, we're well on track to achieve that. So you can see how clear and uh, measurable it is the very long-term vision which is really very long-term but at the same time so so specific um, which is quite amazing. Yeah, and it's actually only 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 one part of the opportunity. So Venium as a company owns a patent portfolio of about 180 patents that covers networks of moving things. Uh, so not just uh, you know cars and autonomous vehicles, but also drones, robots, industrial machines. Uh, but we realized as part of the scale-up framework that it was really important to be laser sharp focus. Um, on the one market segment where we believe we can have the fastest growth, um, and that was uh, the automotive side. Eventually, we will have to make a decision on how to monetize the rest of our IP, whether we create other business units for different verticals or whether we license our IP for others to build products and businesses uh, for these other verticals. Uh, but right now, we're 100% laser-sharp focused on getting our intelligent networking software into the automotive industry. Super, super interesting. And in terms of the the, um, the size of the team, so uh, how many people do you have at Venium? So right now we're 57 people uh, and we expect to be 100 by the end of this year. And finally, to give also context, uh, so what are some of your investors and the amount you raised so far? Yeah, so, so far we raised $45 million in venture capital. Um, our uh, Series A was led by True Ventures in uh, Silicon Valley, which has done Fitbit, uh, um, Ring, several uh, other, other companies like that, uh, and Union Square Ventures, which is well known for Twitter, Tumblr, Twilio. Um, and, and basically, we've been blessed to actually be part of, of not, not, not only of, 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 of their uh, portfolio as investors, but also of this community of incredible startups and scale-ups uh, and founders uh, from whom we've learned a lot as well. And, 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 is, and, and you can see, you know, that uh, um, even though the businesses and teams and companies are totally different and the cultures sometimes are totally different, um, having very, very clear goals and, 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 and having great alignment among all the different parts of the company is, has been critical for all of those that have been successful. And, and the way let's let's move a little bit forward and start missing the conversation between strategy and and people. So in terms of the locations where your customers are now focused on the automotive industry. So usually where are the geographic markets where you are more present and how do you distribute the team to kind of serve those customers and at the same time be able to produce the IP to serve them. 
Well, one of the triggers from the scale-up program was actually that we uh, uh, decided to actually change our focus along the way. Uh, so initially, we uh, uh, had a, a, as a product a combination of hardware and software. And so we had these onboard units that we would put in buses, trucks, and so on. Uh, we built the first mesh network of vehicles and the largest one in the world here in Porto, Portugal, first with all the buses, garbage collection trucks, and, and so on. And then we also uh, started deploying similar networks in Singapore, in New York, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, and about two years ago, we started uh, getting a lot of traction from the automotive industry in terms of auto EMs wanting to incorporate our technology in new vehicles coming out of the factory. And by the time, you know, I uh, started uh, using the scale-up methodology to, to manage the company, I, we were actually still under the illusion that we could actually do both. <laughs> and then we realized that it was really, really, really hard uh, for people to be serving two different very different markets, the fleets and the automakers. Um, and, and, uh, and so we had to make the hard, tough decision uh, to actually uh, you, you shut down one of the businesses to be able to focus 100% on, on the other one. So that was probably the most difficult decision <laughs> that I made um, since starting the company because we, we had business and the other, it was not growing as, and scaling as fast as, as we would like. And the sales cycle with the fleets was really, really long. So that would require a lot more capital also to be able to grow. So we actually licensed that uh, solution to our partners, StarHub in Singapore. They've been selling it and successfully and so that continue and we got some we get some some revenue from there but most importantly i mean being laser sharp focused on the automotive industry was was really really important so so that i i would say that uh focus um ended up being uh one really important outcome of the whole process around aligning the company and setting clear goals. It's like, as soon as you had to, to have two sets of goals and some of them competing for the same resources, that's when it became totally clear that we had to make a, a very important strategic decision around what is our product, who are our customers, and so on. That also had implications in terms of where we are located. At the time we had a Singapore office, which we closed because it made more sense for us to have a distributed sales team with um, business executives in uh, Detroit, in um, uh, Munich, so in Central Europe, in, in, in Tokyo, which we did. We have a business development office in uh, Mountain View, California for investor relations and to be part of the ecosystem because a lot of the discussion around the connected car and the future of mobility is happening in Silicon Valley. Um, and we kept uh, throughout the whole time um, uh, most of our employees, about 80% of our employees and all of our engineering product um, uh, in Porto Portugal, where I am today. Sounds, um, sounds amazing. And it's interesting, um, the, and I, of course, I wanted to emphasize the, the courage that it took to really, especially when there is the pressure also from the market, from inside, from the team, uh, from the investors, to scale uh, the company. And what you are saying is, yes, the potential of the market is really, really big. It's all of this, but I will just focus on a single slice of the market for now. And, um, and this, this, this seems very simple, but uh, in, it's a, uh, at, the, at the same time, it takes a lot of courage to take this decision. And even sometimes 
I would say that in this kind of transitions, when we take these tough decisions, we might lost uh, part uh, of our team that doesn't believe uh, in the new direction for the company. So there is a lot of emotional um, attachment and emotional effort to, to what was being done before to serve those um, those target markets. So what was the way that you used to structure your leadership team at, at this stage of growth of, of Venom? So how do you structure your leadership team? That's the question. So before going into the leadership team, I, you raised a really important point, which is how do you manage this change uh, of focus in this transition cool. and how do you justify you know uh, to people who have you know put their blood sweat and tears into certain projects and, and certain uh, business lines um, and and have them uh, uh, you know uh, commit to this new direction or you know change also their career path um, and and that's super hard I think one point that I always try to make is that uh, everything we had done so far um, was 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 incredibly valuable uh, to uh, be able to bring us to the point where we are right now and and then and at the same point, making clear that, you know, what will take us to the next uh, level is not what took us here. Right. Right. <laughs> and so, and, and, and that's, uh, and, and repeating that message very often, like honoring, you know, the past and everything we achieved before, knowing that that was necessary for us to get to this level of market understanding, to this level of brand equity, to this level, you know, to have this, these, these networks. And in our case, it was pretty obvious that if we had not deployed uh, city-scale networks of, of, of vehicles, we wouldn't have the proof points that would lead the automakers to believe that our software uh, was the solution they needed to put into new vehicles coming out of the factory. Um, and, and it's true, I mean, Venium now has uh, over 19 million kilometers of connected vehicle data that gives us, you know, a pole position to be able to define what kind of algorithms, what kind of protocols uh, vehicles need to be able to move massive amounts of data between them and the cloud. Um, having said that, we did have to, um, you know, as, um, say goodbye to people that we had worked uh, with for, for a number of years um, because the roles that they had, uh, like, you know, running operations of deploying hardware over different um, uh, vehicles uh, in the aftermarket or developing the hardware onboard units where our software would run, we, we had to stop those activities because they did not make sense uh, after we decided to become a 100% software company and, and, and put our intelligent networking software into, into, into vehicles. So that was very hard. Um, and it took a while to actually, uh, you know, get to that level of clarity. So it wasn't like, you know, from one day to the decision was pretty much from one day to the other, but then getting to the level of clarity of, okay, um, what kind of organization makes sense for this business and in what kind of focus and how do we, so we had to go through multiple iterations uh, to be able to get there. And that takes me to the leadership team because we also tried different models. Of, and so the way that the leadership team was, was structured for the previous business and then for both businesses and then for the 100% uh, focus on the automotive uh, was also not the same. Um, for the uh, most recent time, uh, we had the, my um, uh, colleague and in, in close collaborator for a number of years, uh, almost since the beginning of the company, uh, Rui Costa is our chief technology officer. And under his organization, he has um, all the activities around uh, delivering and developing and, and our, our product and, and delivering, you know, high quality um, software to our 
uh, uh, customers and also managing our IP portfolio and, and and, and on the other side, we have our chief business officer, Jane Hoffer, which manages all of the customer facing activities, uh, uh, which includes uh, sales and business development, but also the project management. Uh, and, and so that part of that decent support and the interaction. Um, and uh, we are in the process of recruiting a chief operating officer that can take care of the rest of uh, the organization. For myself, I always wanted to have, obviously, technology, business, and, 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 and then the operations part reporting to me. But the other key people also uh, are, is the head of people and values. Um, who reports uh, directly to me, um, and the head of uh, product management, uh, who also reports. So product is, and people and values um, are, are with me. Uh, right now, finance and GNA reports to the chief business officer, but eventually will report to the chief operating officer. So we're also a little bit in transition right now. Um, but having that core um, leadership team of, of, of uh, Jane, who and me was, was critical over this entire transition and also uh, you know running the business right now uh, but we realized we need a fourth and maybe even a fifth member in the um, leadership team in the foreseeable future got it and um, so we have corporates kind of just help the audience to go through what we are discussing and scaling how Joao has kind of started up uh, Venium. So then we discuss a little bit more, what is the BIAG of Venium, the level of clarity, the kind of strategic decisions that you needed to have the courage to take and how it affects the morale of the team. How do you deal with that? Then we discuss a little bit the way you, you have uh, kind of iterated um, the way you are organizing your, structuring your, your team, going through the strategic decisions that you take in order to get back, uh, to get um, closer to your BAC. And maybe it's time, and you already talked a little bit about it, which is uh, approaching execution. So um, we have already talked about it the way it is so important to repeat and repeat and repeat always the same kind of things and assuring that you are kind of practicing uh, what you are saying that you want to do. So what are the meeting rhythms that you consider uh, super important to assure that everyone is on the same track, on the same plan and um, executing on, on the best pace possible? So all our teams have daily huddles and uh, weekly meetings. Uh, the daily huddles are 15 minutes and kind of stand up and, and basically more like a news flash where everybody, you know, shares out of their uh, calendar and schedule, you know, what's important today, what, what, what did we learn yesterday and in, in, in kind of news flash. Uh, and so uh, we do it um, since our leadership team, we're, we travel a lot and so on. We try to make it as simple as possible. So over Zoom and, and also some sometimes just calling in from, from a smartphone and just going boom, boom, boom. Um, you know, very, very crisp, uh, uh, clear communication um, and trying to avoid to go too deep into each topic, but just really getting through through the, the daily news. I love it. It's one of my favorite <laughs> times of the day because you can feel the buzz of everything that is, that, that is happening. Um, and, and sometimes during the day, we also use Slack to just update each other, you know, just had this meeting and learned this, uh, I'm thinking about that. Uh, we use um, 
a, a, a term that I took out of uh, uh, the Turn the Ship Around, which is one of the management books also recommended in the scale-up uh, book and methodology, which is the Think Out Loud. So we use the hashtag TOL, Think Out Loud, for um, things that we're uh, thinking of doing. And so we don't have to ask permission or authorization to do them, but we're keeping everyone informed. If someone has feedback, timely feedback, they will share it with us to help us think further. But it's, it's, it's not asking for permission. And it's also not just doing things under the radar without informing everyone. And that hashtag think out loud on, on, on Slack is also one of my, my favorite um, parts of our, of our uh, methodology. Um, the weekly meetings, so on, on uh, the, the rhythms that we have right now is that on Monday, the leadership team meets with different functional areas. Um, and so we have uh, execution, uh, people and values. Um, and then on and on a weekly basis, and our own tactical uh, meeting. Um, in the execution, we look at the project. So there's a section that the project management office says this is where we are with each one of the projects with our customers. Um, we also have the tech execution review, or where are we in our you know roadmap? How are we executing you know against what was planned? And just also basically during those meetings, we also get a sense of. How is the team morale? What are we hearing from our different team members? What are we hearing from our customers? Um, then we have on Fridays, then uh, the um, bi-weekly, uh, we look at uh, different topics, also finance uh, and the uh, business operations, which is kind of our rocks for continuous improvement of the, of the organization. Um, and then we have a couple of monthly meetings like the global sales meeting where we meet with the salespeople, the global tech uh, meeting where we m m meet with our tech leaders. And so where essentially uh, they can also ask uh, us questions and, and uh, on, on whatever they feel they need in terms of context. Uh, a super important meeting, which we had yesterday is the monthly extended leadership uh, meeting where we have all the middle managers uh, where we also look at our progress in different directions, start, stop, keep. My favorite section also is that we have actually two sections. One is the core values stories, uh, which is around our values uh, as a company and where people say, I nominate this person for this value because of that. Um, and we also have the sore values <laughs> section, which is things that we could have done better. Um, and uh, so that we also say, you know, uh, this was not good, and this is I, I want to, to, to do this better. Uh, and and uh, so I'm really happy how this evolved, uh, where I think we are uh, uh, making progress, and, but need to improve is being more and more um, KPI oriented. So for certain things, we do watch the KPIs carefully. Like right now, we have a recruiting push because we're scaling up, um, and so we're monitoring very carefully those numbers. Um, but just in general, we're we're making an effort to become more and more also oriented towards our towards our numbers. Um, and then on a quarterly um, we rhythm, we have the um, uh, sales summit, which ends up being what we use for our planning because it's our go-to-market and then around that everything centered around the go-to-market and we have our rocks uh, exactly you know like like they are defined in um, also on in the book on a, on a quarterly basis uh, where we track on a weekly basis you know are we 
Uh, we start with all of them are red and then eventually they have to be yellow and by the end of the quarter they have to be green and we kind of track you know how are we uh, doing along those lines so we have those rocks also on the wall uh, and so people can see them in a highlighted place we have our critical number also in a counter so that, that people can, can see it uh, and uh, we have a gong uh, so that you know we gong every time that there's some wow. some milestone is is achieved so all of that you know is already already you know kind of ingrained and part of uh you know how we um live in the company um and then there's the senior leadership team news which is a bi-weekly newsletter where we just update everyone there's a business ops a newsletter so different areas functional areas have have different ways of updating the team on on what they do and very important of course is our weekly all hands uh, so it's just quite a lot of meetings, um, and that's something that sometimes you know people say, "Oh, we have so many meetings." But uh, I, I think once you uh, start communicating in a crisper way, um, then those meetings can actually you know be fast-paced and and fun. Um, and so I, we we've improved uh, a bit there, but there's still room for improvement. I mean, one tool that I personally use also to create a tight connection with our uh, managers and internal leaders is the Leadership Academy. And that goes back to my, you know, uh, core DNA as a professor. Right. Is that, so I, I facilitate that, that myself. And it's uh, uh, a moment where um, groups of uh, four to six managers uh, sit together and just uh, share, you know, over the last two weeks, different situations that were particularly challenging. How did they deal with that and, and where we come to um, a sharing moment, you know, without judging or without generalizing um, on how, uh, what is working, what is not working. Uh, I'm always more interested in what is not working and how might we be able to um, improve it. Uh, so overall, I think that, uh, you know, all these rhythms has, have now become part of, have now become habits. Um, and, and if for some reason, you know, uh, um, we actually, I, I can't remember you know, not having daily, <laughs> but if for some reason I, I, I don't, uh, either because, you know, something happened to the calendar or something that immediately it feels like something is missing today. Um, and that's, that's how ingrained this has become into our culture. And this is a, a very good point. As you said, this can be very overwhelming. First, when we start the process of trying to be super specific and super clear about what we want to achieve, and kind of killing some of the goals that are distracting us. It's so, so difficult. Uh, so people feel, it's, oh, this, this exercise is so difficult. How can I define what is my number one thing? And then it's, well, wow, what will be the implication in all of us, what we need to do? Maybe some of us would be doing completely different things and we need to take decisions about our own life plans, about our career plans. And then after that, oh, my calendar is full of meetings where I need to kind of communicate, keep accountable, uh, share what, I, what is happening, ask questions, uh, be involved. And, um, and sometimes even the CEO is in a very, and going back really for the CEO role, for the driver role, um, it can be very overwhelming because even in my normal agenda, I'm already so full of things and in your case well, I'm traveling to Silicon Valley, Porto, to Japan, Tokyo, etc, uh, etc, et Munich. So this can be kind of kill your agenda and it's very tempting to say 
look, I will not go to the weekly meeting because I have an important meeting with a customer or something. So how do you manage that? Oh, so that's that's just not acceptable. So it's like, uh, so no, no, clearly. I mean, we realize that every, uh, that this internal communication is so important. What, what One way to make that easier for us that has worked for us is to say Mondays and Fridays is where we concentrate the internal meetings. And that leaves like Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays almost completely free uh, to uh, be able to have the customer engagements and all the other you know, execution work that is required. Uh, for the leadership team, what requires a lot of discipline is having time to stop and think. Uh, and that's what I'm constantly insisting you know, with our executives is just uh, in, in all this busyness, if you don't stop and think and prioritize in what's really important. And that's why having those you know, kind of monthly meeting, planning meetings, and, and we do the, I forgot to mention the leadership retreat, which we do on a um, monthly basis uh, where we meet in person. I think especially when you have a distributed leadership team that is in many different countries, meeting at least you know, once a month, preferably I would say like every two weeks in person is really important. So sometimes, you know, when we have board meetings, uh, Kui and I will fly to the US and meet Jane there. Uh, other times, uh, and, and, and Jane will come at, uh, once a month over to Porto also because she has some direct reports here. So that, you know, live 3D uh, um, meeting is really important. We've also been improving now our video conferencing uh, uh, technology so, so that we get, you know, better quality of experience and better discussions. Uh, but yeah, it requires a lot of discipline, no doubt about that. Got it. So strategy, people, execution. So let, let's go now to, to cash. So this is a really, as you said, deep tech uh, field. Uh, it's a very long-term vision, a very large market, a very large opportunity. And you need to really believe on something that will happen in a decade or two. And that will be really life-changing. So how do you kind of attract the right people and the right, the smart capital to, to fund a, a BIAG like this? So uh, you... you... You have all the all the, <laughs> the points right. So the sales <laughs> cycle is really long. The product cycle is, is 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 really really long, and it goes through multiple iterations. And you have to try many different things that really fail, both on the technical side as well as on the product market and in in customer engagement side. Um, and so. Uh, we went through multiple iterations of trying to figure it out. And, and by all means, it's still a discovery process. And so companies like ours do take eight to 10 years to incubate. So you need, first of all, really patient investors. And we're blessed with really fantastic investors that understand um, that to be able to seize that huge opportunity of touching you know, millions of vehicles and then the lives of millions of people, you do require um, this much time. Um, in terms of attracting the people, I, for us, it has been people that really uh, want to do something that is meaningful um, and, and important. Uh, I think we all share the, the uh, um, realization that climate change is real. Um, and that is the number one threat to our, our uh, way of, of, of living. Um, and, and with our software and the ability, you know, to move massive amounts of data between vehicles in the cloud, and we, we can help accelerate um, a much more sustainable, environmentally friendly mobility system and, and smart city ecosystem. And so when, when I 
talk with several of my team members and colleagues, uh, that vision is very present in, 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 in the why they are at Venium. And, and, and many of them have been with us, you know, since the very beginning for, for six years, five years or more. And so uh, that piece, I think, also in our interviews and so on, um, it's, 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 uh, we, we do end up having candidates that uh, perhaps over a period of time we're, we're working, you know, for an e-commerce com company or something, you know, more, more consumer oriented, but then realize, no, I really want to be in a company that is doing something that could be, you know, uh, uh, of, of real value in, in, in people's lives. Um, so that, that was one, one, that's one aspect. The other one is the, what, the type of people that we um, aim to attract and we do attract, people who love an intellectual challenge, uh, both on the technical side, but even you know, on the market side. And like, it's such a disruptive technology for, the, for this industry, for the automotive industry and for future mobility, that you know, it's people that like to ask questions and like to go deep. So depth is something that we look for across the entire organization in, in, in figuring out. Uh, but then for me, when I left the university, it was really important to create a company that not only is doing good things for the world, but also a company where people can be genuinely good with each other. And, and we all know, you know, how difficult, you know, work environments can be and business environments can be. I see there's a movement to create actually more humane organizations um, that, you know, our number one core value is act selflessly. Um, and, and it's this notion that, you know, they were there for each other. And, and I, I wrote a culture book together with our uh, uh, people and values specialist uh, to actually be able to uh, express that in as clear and practical way as as possible. Um, and so we tend to attract also people who are kind. Uh, so it's like, uh, it, 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 that's a litmus test for us is we, we, we so far have been able to create a, a workspace where uh, people can be themselves and they don't have to wear like five different masks, but you know, they can be sincere and honest and where we uh, try as much as possible, you know, to um, have conflicts that are healthy where people feel, okay, I've been true to myself and I've spoken out, you know, my truth and how I see the world and how I believe it. Um, and that takes daily work. It should never be taken for granted. And I think it will become increasingly difficult as, as we uh, scale further. Um, but that, uh, you know, uh, as, as long as you're very explicit about uh, who you are, uh, why you're doing what you're doing and how you want to go about it, um, then I think attracting the right people is then more a matter of hard work than really, uh, um, you know, uh, luck. I, I think you can, uh, there's, there's a, lo a lot of luck involved in, you know, getting the right people at the right time. And, but, but, but this level of clarity really helps you get lucky. That's what I want to say. <laughs> Let me get clear, as you said, uh, we were kind of approaching CAS. And I asked it, how do you attract the, the right and the best people in the world for any kind of role uh, as an employee, as an investor, as a customer, as a provider, as a right. partner? And it was a very holistic uh, answer. And we were talking about CAS. So which is a very interesting point that it's really attracting the right people. Yeah, I go back to my to, to the initial point I, I was making, but just right before we, we kicked off the postcard, which is we the, the 
and and again we're a very young company we have a lot to learn and so these are just you know initial impressions that i can share but what has become clear to me throughout the last few years is that you really have to build this huge coalition of goodwill huge a huge number of people you mentioned investors customers of course uh partners uh and team members uh and and friends so people who basically want you to succeed um having a clear purpose is really important because people want you to succeed not just because you're nice and kind that's a, that by the way plays a really important they have to like they have to like you uh, investors have to like you you as a person so that's the other thing that you, that is really important for people to realize is that uh that piece of liking you is, is incredibly critical to be able to uh uh, get investment and do business. Um, uh, and so working on ourselves is really, really important. Um, but then the other thing is, is buying into the vision is saying, yeah, this, this is a, a really great story. And this is a story that, that I believe is important and, 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 and this company must exist. And so when you get then to the point where investors and customers say, you know, this company must exist and your team members say, you know, I'm in this company because this company is important is doing important things and so and and that's what i would love just in general for 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 business to be is like that we look at every single company and we understand yet why this company exists and, and i think companies exist to make our, our our lives better and for society to solve its problems and i think we have big problems in the world that we need to solve climate change being one of them as I mentioned, there are others, I mean, social inequality, you know, uh, growing ex uh, pop populist uh, uh, movements, uh, all of that, um, threats to democracy. So companies that are able to tackle, you know, some of these issues, um, I think that that's really important. And I think that, that the cash then appears once you have that coalition of goodwill. Amazing uh, answer and having amazing investors and raising such amazing rounds. Uh, talking about what you're talking, I think it shows a lot about your personality. We'll not have not too much time to also discuss your transition from academic to the business world. But and I feel that we only covered kind of one percent of uh, what we can uh, cover here and extract here, uh, namely how to define the rocks, what are rocks, what are priorities. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, but I will uh, ask a final question before uh, giving back the word to Ryan, which I believe that will have an amazing summary, uh, which is if you would have the opportunity <laughs> to meet uh, João Barros uh, in 2012, if I'm not wrong, uh, when you were starting Benium, so, and you would have a very tough conversation with himself or a very kind conversation as you prefer. Uh, what would you tell him? Oh my, uh, yeah, uh, it's actually quite moving to think about it. Uh, you know, my, my, uh, my uh, largest investor and closest VC, so Om Malik, uh, who's on our, on, on, on our board, he likes to talk about Juan 1.0, Juan 2.0, Juan 3.0, because <laughs> different situations. I think I'm transitioning to Juan 5.0 now. Um, and, uh, and so looking back, I, I actually went into this whole uh, journey um, in, uh, with, with a lot of exciting and uh, excitement and idealism, I have to say. Um, but, uh, but realizing, but looking back today, I really did not know 
much about business and there's still so much to learn. And so I, I, I think that that was the biggest challenge. It was, was to actually realize that um, and uh, doing academic research and actually building a business are, are actually quite different. There's one commonality, which is you have to uh, formulate the right questions and and go systematically about you know finding the answers but all the things that you don't control um, you don't control the market and the macroeconomics you don't control you know your 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 customers you don't control your partners and and ultimately uh, you can lead your team um, but it's 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 still uh, ultimately as a CEO and as a founder you're you, you, Sometimes people like to think you're the boss. You're never the boss. It's like you are actually serving um, a huge number of people. And and what I would tell my younger self was would be that you know each of these people um, has a different perspective and requires a different perspective. Uh, and so being able to address you know the different perspectives in a very clear, crisp way is really important. Uh, and so mixing sometimes the, the different perspectives can actually create more confusion than clarity. And so being very, very clear is really important and very, very consistent. So that would be one point. The second point, which another one of my investors, Brad Burnham from Union Square Ventures kept telling me, and I'm only started to understand much later, was the importance of focus. Um, and when, and, and, and there's, um, uh, Johnny Ives, the, 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 the designer of Apple, has this, this beautiful uh, uh, definition of focus. You know, uh, uh, focus is not saying no to things that you uh, wouldn't do. Focus is saying no to things that you would love to do, but, and, and it really, really hurts not to do, but you decide not to do because there are other more important things that you need to do. And, and, and so like saying no when it really, really hurts. Um, and the other one is really being very honest when it's not working out with people and do it really, really early. So as soon as you feel this is not working out, address it immediately. Uh, don't procrastinate on making difficult personnel decisions and personnel choices. Uh, set the bar super high um, on, on how, uh, on, on the level of, 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 of performance and, and, and deliverables and be very, very clear about what the expectations are. So setting very, very clear expectations for everyone, for the company, for yourself, for everyone. Uh, that is super important. And, and I think a, and a really important tool for that is role descriptions. So have, have very early on from day one, uh, Juan 2012 from day one have written role descriptions <laughs> even if it seems like everything is undefined and you still have to figure it out um, and, 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 and carve out time for silence uh, I, it, I've, I've been practicing mindfulness uh, so daily meditation for uh, almost three years now um, and it, that also changed my life. Um, the other thing is uh, get a, C, a, a world-class CEO coach as soon as, I can, as you can. So I work with Khalid Hamid uh, from Reboot in, in San Francisco um, for, for many years now. Uh, it's been tremendously helpful as well. And then the other one is don't scale up until you have product market fit. Uh, super important. Sorry, good one. So until and and you only have product market fit when you have customers paying for your product. Uh, yeah, and and I, I could go on, but those are 
<laughs> yeah, and, and I think you could. And honestly, it's funny because you were saying part of your advice is that there's so much to learn. And Mike was like, we've only scratched the surface of 1%. So, you know, maybe next time that we're live, we need to go live for 24 hours, just 24 hours. Actually, Mike, I challenge you, we should come up with a 24. We need to get, ready? Yeah. We need to get Joao Bacos. I tried, maybe it's 82%. We need to get him back for a 24-hour scale up a thon okay <laughs> to be the first one lecture, ever a lecture to the masses so he did a great job of summing up in the end there but if i had to sum up the entire show in five words it would be focus 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 and focus that's it that's it <laughs> now just to be fun uh you know how i like building out my uh my my word um words upon words so if we were going to look at focus and we and we'd go down the list the five elements of focus is to one, facilitate. And a lot of what we talked about was facilitating, facilitating the pivot, facilitating the, the person that you're dealing with, uh, even facilitating their departure uh, as soon as you know. Then the second is openness. And I really like this, the openness that you have that you've communicated. Um, you have to bring everyone along with you. And consistency probably one of the most important things across the board. And I think we said it like 16 or 17 times. I love it. We're focused on consistency. Um, U stands for UX. And I thought of your business as like a user experience, not for your customers, but for your employees. And so the way that you're looking and developing and trying to see how the user experience goes. And I was stuck on S at the end. I'm like, what is S? And then you said, make room for silence. I'm like, that one's it. That is it. So Five words, focus, 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 and focus. And each one of those words stands for facilitating, openness, consistency, UX, and silence. Well done. <laughs> well, hey, everybody, this has, been, this has been a lot of fun. And so uh, to catch these types of shows, where it's really just an organic conversation and, and story time, really. Uh, the only thing we're missing is a fire pit and some s'mores. But you can catch other of these episodes and join us at the, at the campfire by going to scaleupvalley.com. That is scaleupvalley.com, where you can learn how to scale up and out of the crazy valley to get the market fit, to do the right thing for what is for you. And, uh, and, and don't forget that in all the chaos, there is silence. You just have to find it. So I'm going to stop talking now and we'll create silence on your feed so that we're going to go away. Uh, but hey, what a great time. This is a lot of fun. And it's fun to see uh, your educational research being translated into something that's real and solving some real problems. So thanks again. And I look forward to connecting with you and practicing your name as we talk more and more. <laughs> no, it was a great pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you very All much. Right. Bye. And I have to press stop. I just got the notification. <laughs> so we're just going to go, we're going to have some silence here. Just, just peaceful silence as I find the window with the Facebook. <laughs> um, um, see, this is, you know, Facebook for me is not that easy. I have so many windows up. We should have also talked about, we should have also talked about windows uh, and the, what you can do is just to leave the meeting or close the show and let's say goodbye to the audience and to each other. Thanks so All much. All right, <laughs> let's do that. Plan B, we're going to pivot. I'm going to end the meeting. <laughs> goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Thank you.